Psalm 119 and verse 33 is our sermon text tonight. And our catechism lesson is question 103. And we'll read the answer together for that after we read God's word. Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40, we'll be really focusing on verses 33 and 34 mostly, but we'll read verses 33 through 40, this stanza, the the hey stanza, as there is one stanza for each letter in the Hebrew alphabet in Psalm 119. So give your attention once again to God's holy word, Psalm 119, verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then question 103, let's say the answer together, question 103 of the Shorter Catechism found on page 877. Beloved, what do we pray for in the third petition? In the third petition, which is, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, we pray that God by His grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to His will in all things as the angels do in heaven. Well, when you want to know and, and learn uh, some kind of, of a subject, uh, say it's, it's history, I've got a book uh, at my bedside table right now, a book on World War II history, and I, I like learning about uh, these kinds of things, and I can go and, and open that book, and if I do a, a diligent enough job of paying attention to the words that I'm reading and maybe turning them over in my mind or reading over uh, if I haven't quite caught everything, I can get a lot of that information and and really grasp the the, the subject matter and uh, in in, in a full and complete way really come to a a working knowledge of uh, the subject matter that I'm studying. We do this in in all kinds of fields. 
And of course, behind that, there's always the, the, the call to see all things oriented to the glory of God. But as it exists in that field itself, whether it be history or something else, uh, you, can, you can grasp the content uh, by diligently looking at it and, and studying it. But there's something different about God's truth. There's something different about the truth that He reveals to us in His Word. It, it, it's not something that you can sort of read and study and through your own effort arrive at a full and complete understanding of it the way that God intends. What God intends for us from His truth that He reveals to us is an obedient life uh, to Him that submits to Him and all that He commands of us, chiefly faith and repentance, but an obedient life that flows forth from the transformed heart that He gives to us by His grace. And since that is the way that God has intended His, His truth to be known and believed and followed, we must rely upon Him and ask Him by prayer to grant what it is that He commands. Some people bristle up at, at that very thing, right? That we have to ask God for Him to give us that which He commands. But that was something that Augustine highlighted. He said that God can, can command whatever He wants, for it is His to command. But then it is our plea that He would grant to us what He has commanded from us. We see that in Psalm 119. We see that in the, in the Lord's Prayer and as the Catechism highlights. And this stanza of Psalm 119 is very clearly a prayer. Look at the, the first words of all of the verses. Teach, give, lead, incline, turn. We are asking God for things. As I mentioned, this is the, the hey stanza. And that letter in the Hebrew alphabet is connected to a particular verbal stem. And what that means is basically it is strong action verbs that, that, that mean basically to cause to do something. So all we need to know for tonight is that those are very naturally prayer-type words. God, cause me to know, cause me to love, cause me to turn. So if you read this in, in Hebrew you'll see each and every verse begin with that letter. It's really quite a beautiful thing. And you go work through the stanzas, and they all uh, conform to, to that pattern. But the, the lesson that we see in this particular stanza is, again, that we pray to God for Him to grant what He commands of us. In some, we're asking God to bring forth an obedient life. And that's what the psalmist here, David, is, is praying. Bring forth an obedient life in me. From the heart outward. We see this highlighted not only in our catechism lesson before us, but then as we know well, the Heidelberg Catechism, as it teaches on the third petition, says this, your will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our wills, our own wills, and without any back talk to obey your will, for it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. I wonder if Ursinus or uh, Olivian maybe were having an interesting day as parents that day. I always think it's funny, without any back talk, that we would obey your will. This is really the, the joyful life of the Christian, isn't it? But you step back and, and, and you kind of think of it, 
you try to think of it in, uh, from an objective level and you think, who would pray this prayer? That we would renounce our wills, that, that we would lay it down before our great God and that it would become our great joy to, to serve Him. Well, who would pray for this? Those with transformed hearts. Those who have the new heart that God promises to us in His covenant of grace and in the new covenant. We do that, of course, in, in light and the shadow of the beauty of Christ our Savior as well. So let's, let's consider these things uh, together. As I mentioned, mostly verse 33 and 34 tonight, but the first idea uh, that we see is that God is our teacher. God is our teacher. Whatever truth we know from God's Word has been given to us by God's grace. Whatever understanding we have that's in accord with God's will for us to know from His Word has come to us by God's grace. We don't arrive by it ourselves, not through our intellect. It is, it is from His grace. So Paul, or Paul, David prays here, teach me. Teach me, O Lord. That's why he praise this prayer. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, something similar that we read, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the growth? God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. It's not saying that Paul, he's not saying he himself or Apollos is worthless. He's saying in the, in the process that he's speaking of, who is the one who is the catalyst for bringing about that result? It's God. He is the one vital ingredient in the equation. Matthew Henry, commenting on this stanza, says, David prays earnestly that God himself would be his teacher. He had prophets and wise men and priests about him and was himself well instructed in the law of God. Yet he begs to be taught of God as knowing that none teaches like him. Kind of an interesting thought, isn't it? David would have had all of these resources around him and, and people who were well-versed in the law of God. And if he had some kind of theological uh, pondering or question, he could have brought people around and, and had a, a counsel to figure it out or to, to, to try to anyways. But David knows what is the heart of covenantal life with God. You must teach me. You must be the one who grants by your grace this knowledge that I so need, for no one teaches like him, caused me to, to think about who is my favorite teacher in, in my kind of childhood uh, life schooling. And it was immediately, I, I knew exactly who it was, my, my fifth grade science teacher, Mr. Trutna. And I still remember, and, and oftentimes his lessons will come up in my mind, things that I understand about, about the world and the way the world works. He had such an incredible gift to teach and to make things clear and plain. In my life, in my experience, from kindergarten through 12th grade, nobody taught like him. And indeed, in our spiritual lives, there is no one who comes close, who can even touch the level. God is on another level than anyone else. There may be somebody who can, who can uh, teach you with, with uh, clarity, lucidity, truths about Scripture, but who is it that takes that truth and plants it in your heart and brings about the life that God intends? God alone. And so if God is our teacher, we must do like David. We must pray. We must pray and humbly seek His grace that He would give us understanding. Thomas Manton preached Psalm 119 one verse at a time 
from what I can see, there were two sermons in the series where he did two verses. But other than that, he did one verse at a time. And he says this, Hearers must not rest in the fruit of your studies, but still beg God to teach you every truth. And what a, that, that can be quite the temptation for pastors, for seminary students, that uh, we, we come to God, and, or we come to our studies, we come to these books, we come to these wonderful, beautiful ideas, and oftentimes the temptation is we, we rest on our gifts and say uh, that, that we can understand them in depth, and we can't without God's grace. If we must humbly seek God's teaching of us in prayer, then our prayer must be marked by humility. We must maintain a frame of humility in all things that pertain to God's truth. We can never become puffed up when it comes to doctrine. We can never be, become puffed up when it comes to theology, particularly as we, as we sang tonight, the doctrine of God, right? We, we, we always understand that uh, the doctrine of the Trinity God's being, His existence is fraught from our perspective with mystery. We can assert things that are true and we must stand on solid ground there. And yet we always are brought to a place where we fall down in worship. We must maintain a frame of humility. Humility goes hand in hand also with reliance. If we need God to teach us and we need God to bring about the life that He prescribes, we must rely upon Him day by day in humility. It's the Holy Spirit on whom we rely to be our teacher if we probe deeper into the doctrine of, of the Trinity. Going back to Thomas Manton, he says, indeed, it's the Holy Spirit's main work to bring things to our remembrance and to, to blow up or really progress our light and knowledge into an actual resistance of whatever is contrary to the will of God. What makes the truth of God to, be, uh, to, to go forth in our lives to resisting temptation or positively obeying God's law. It is the Holy Spirit working through the Scriptures. We see elsewhere in Psalm 119, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I know that there are great things there for the heart of the believer. He knows that there are wondrous things there, but he must pray that God would open his eyes. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. The way of your statutes. What God teaches his people is a, is a way of life, a unified lifestyle. The NET Bible translates this. It's, it's a, quite an interpretive uh, translation, but I like it. Teach me the lifestyle prescribed by your statutes. The way of God is a way that leads in, in one direction. It's consistent, and you can bank on its consistency. That, of course, is rooted in our doctrine of God itself. What is it that we believe about God? Is He simple? Is He unchanging? and unchangeable? Uh, is, is He the God who is the same yesterday and today and forever? Is He a God who is perfect? Yes, indeed, He is. And if He is perfect and unchanging, then the instruction that He gives from His eternal purposes is going to be unchanging as well in a consistent way of life. 
So teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. They move in a particular direction. The wisdom of God's word and the instruction of God's word moves us in a particular direction, and we can be confident in that. We can be confident that what God is teaching us today, it may be different than what he teaches us next week or 10 years from now, but it's not going to contradict. He's never going to teach us contradictory things, for he does not change. It's a unified whole. So we lean on him to teach us the the, the way of his word and wisdom. Note also that we do not have any need to be taught the way of sinfulness, do we? (laughs) We pray that God would teach us his way, that he would reorder our mind and renew our minds and uh, through his grace, but we don't need to be taught the way of sinfulness. One theologian says this, we have no We have need of none to teach us to do evil. We have that from nature. But in the way of God, we must be taught again and again and again. He must be our teacher and our daily monitor. A couple things to apply to to this truth. First, what do you do? You you attend upon the Word. You go to the Word of God and you you attend upon it. Our, Our primary source of spiritual nourishment is God working through the Word. It's the Holy Spirit giving illumination according to God's will and according to God's purposes. This means that that man-made things are no ground for confidence. You cannot schedule revivals, can you? The wind blows where it wishes. So it is with everyone who is born with the Spirit. No one knows where, where it comes from, where, where it is going. As uh, the, the life forms within the womb of a woman and a baby is knit together, the mystery of that, so is the working of God who knows all things. His ways are mysterious. And you cannot schedule or uh, know exactly when he is going to work and move or give these kinds of things that we're asking for. So we ask him to grant it. We know where he has promised to work. Where, he, where has he promised to work? The means of grace, the teaching of the word, the sacraments, the, the, the fellowship of the saints in the church, the gathering of the Lord on the Lord's day. So we're confident that God is at work there, and yet we still come here and we ask God to work through his word. Church Programming can be helpful. There can be good things that you do. Uh, But uh, what are the things that God has expressly commanded? The the, the danger of a lot of things that that we do is saying this formulaic approach is going to give you this set result. There is no set time of the year where God is consistently pouring forth more grace. That would go against this doctrine of reliance upon God, daily relying upon Him, asking Him to teach us. He is the one uh, who decides these things. So we attend upon the Word. We come to uh, the gathering of God's people. We listen to those who have uh, been ordained to give instruction in God's Word. We do read God's Word daily in our secret worship and private worship and family worship. We do those things because we understand and know that God works through His Word, 
and yet we understand that it works within a, within a particular context, always connected to, to the life of, of the church. We attend upon the Word. We meditate upon the Word. It ought to be our, our desire to, to have the Word of God fill our minds and our hearts in a daily sense. Your Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, David says earlier in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I think about it. I have it swirling around in my head and in my heart. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What does it mean to keep God's law to the end? It basically means to keep God's law unto its end result. The result of perfect obedience to God's law, what would that be? Well, it would be eternal life. It would be eternal blessedness with God if it were wholly pure and beyond scrutiny. But of course, we know that we cannot do this. And this is something that we need to understand when we come come to Psalm 119 and what we're going to think about for the rest of, of this evening, particularly as we move to verse 34. Because what does it mean to, to have understanding? Now, there's knowledge is one thing, but verse 34 says, give me understanding, a perception to what God is doing from a higher level, to not, just, to, to not be focused solely on these kind of brute facts, but have an understanding of what God is, is doing. You read Psalm 119, and, and if you come to it thinking that uh, you, you read it and, and God perhaps grants to you uh, some kind of, of, of ability to carry these things out, it might become quite a crushing endeavor if you think that this becomes your standing before God. Your walking in the statutes of God becomes what you point to if you were to stand before God and He were judging you. It would be crushing, wouldn't it? But the knowledge and understanding which God gives to us begins with the covenant of grace which leads us to the Savior. So our second point tonight is that Christ is our life in obedience. Christ is our life in obedience. Verse 34, give me understanding. There's beauty, there's wisdom in God's ways and God's law, and yet we cannot keep it perfectly. What was David's experience as the the author of, of many of the Psalms. He went through life as, as the anointed one of God. And so that was an, a particular experience for him. He was the, the anointed one of God. So when people came against him, he was able to interpret that a particular way, that, that people are coming against the Lord's anointed and they ought not be doing that. And uh, he also knew the pain of not always living up to the language of Psalm 119 or other Psalms. In verse 5, it says this, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. Did David live that way perfectly all of his life? No. Was he steadfast all the time? No. Was he put to shame? Yes. He was put to shame in alarming ways. And yet he knew the covenantal strength of God's upholding hand. Psalm 51, after his failure with Bathsheba 
And he writes and prays, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So David knew not only his failure, but God's covenantal renewal and the strength that he was able to to draw from it. But we read in verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law. Give me understanding that I may keep your law. What does that mean for us tonight? What does that mean as we come before a psalm like this? What's the understanding that we are to have? Well, reading it spiritually, reading it from a Christ-centered lens, reading it from this side of the cross and the resurrection, I I believe there is is merit and reason for us to say that a a grace-centered understanding that God gives to us allows us to understand what it would mean to live a life that is pleasing to God. And it must come from Christ who is our life in obedience. And what this brings us to first and foremost is the beauty of the righteousness which comes to us by faith in Jesus Christ. Imputed righteousness that God grants to us because who is Jesus? He is the true David and he is the one who perfectly kept every statute, every commandment, Each and every verse of Psalm 119 was the way that he experienced it if it's leading us to the glory of an obedient servant of God. Steadfast. Knowing the commandments of God and keeping them with his whole heart. It shows us how important it is from the beginning of thinking about a life lived which is pleasing to God, which we can do as we'll see in just a moment. You can live a life that is pleasing unto God. It's not just nihilism. It's not just my life is hopeless. God never looks at me and is pleased. If you are in Christ, you can live a life that is pleasing unto God. But it begins with understanding and knowing the positive righteousness that he gives to us in his gospel. And you don't come to a place like Psalm 119 and say, okay, by my own brute strength, I'm going to produce something that God looks upon and says, oh, look what, look what Dan did. It is always through the life of Christ and through the grace of God working through the gospel of Christ. I'm, I haven't dove deeply into the, the writings of, of George Whitfield, but reading another book over the past couple of weeks I was brought to these words from one of his sermons, and I thought it was so beautiful. So I know we're, we're moving to an end, but allow me to just read some of these words. He says, are any of you depending upon a righteousness of your own? Do any of you here think to save yourselves by your own doings? I say to you, as the apostle said to one that offered money for a power to confer the gift of the Holy Spirit, your righteousness shall perish with you. What is there in your tears? What is there in your prayers? What in your performance to appease the wrath of an angry God? Away from the trees of the garden, come guilty wretches, come as poor, lost, undone, and wretched creatures, and accept of a better righteousness than your own. 
As I said before, so I tell you again, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is an everlasting righteousness. It is wrought out for the very chief of sinners. This is the righteousness imputed to us by faith. The righteousness of an obedient servant of God who kept the law of God to the letter. And as you read a psalm like Psalm 119, you say, Jesus did that for sinners. Jesus did that for me as I believe in him and I trust in him. And as you are united to Christ by faith, as you reach out and lay hold of this Savior who gives to you a righteousness without which a psalm like this would be crushing to an honest heart and an honest spirit, but as you lay hold of that perfect righteousness and are united to him by faith, there is a life that, it, that wells up inside of you from the heart that is produced by the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. So Romans 6, for instance, says, Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Because Christ has set you free from sin. Because Christ has set you free from the demands of righteousness that God gives to us. In something like the covenant of works, now you can serve God and live a life that is pleasing unto God. So Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul says that we pray for you that you would live a life that is pleasing. That, that ought to be our prayer for ourselves, ought to be our prayer for one another, that we would live lives that are pleasing unto God, united to Christ in the covenant of grace, because we have been given his positive righteousness, we have been, our sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are united to him. And so we pray for a gospel understanding, that we would keep the law of God in a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered way, never perfect, but understanding and knowing that because we are united to Christ, the Father looks upon us and sees us as children of God. And he sees our sincere uh, attempts of obedience and reliance upon his grace. And he is pleased. So we obey from the heart. Don't have time to dive into it tonight, but the end of verse 34 there. We obey from the heart. The transformed heart is what God creates and he demands that in reliance upon his grace, we give him our hearts. So it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning. Oh Lord, you, you, can, you can command whatever you will for me, but grant to me what you command. He creates a transformed heart in the gospel of grace, and then he commands us in reliance upon his grace to give him our heart. Doesn't command, he, he, he doesn't say you need to have so much money to come to him and serve him. He doesn't say you need this level of performance. He says, give me your heart. And by his grace, he grants what he commands. May he do so all for his glory in our lives. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray that you would fill our lives with this prayer, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that uh, the indwelling sin with which we battle 
that our own tendencies and besetting sins, uh, you would, by your grace, allow us to put those to death, and uh, that you, uh, as you draw us into love and reliance upon Jesus Christ, that you would bring about a life of obedience in us that is pleasing unto you, pleasing in your sight. And, O Father, we pray that you would cleanse us and renew us, and this week, keep us from sin and temptation. Allow us to, to, to do just that, to live lives uh, that are pleasing unto you. Be with us each and every day and moment, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We sing a song of response.